Podcast with my host, Huge Pop Nick Vick on the, from Knockout Entertainment, and tonight we have a very special guest. He is a former wrestler that worked throughout the eighties and nineties, mostly as enhancement talent. He doesn't shy away from the phrase "jobber" and explains why in the interview. He famously took it on Big Van Vader, the Midnight Express, the Road Warriors, and more. Plus, Jim Cornette loves working with him. Randy Hogan is our guest tonight. How you doing, my friend? It's a pleasure to have you on the Huge Pop Wrestling Podcast. I am wonderful. I can't believe, finally, at this point in my career, I finally made it to the world-famous Huge Pop Podcast, much less sharing the screen with nasty Nicholas Vick himself. I'm just, I'm just so happy, man. I could, like, wet myself right now. Awesome, man. I'm glad to have you here. I mean, it's just been a it's been an honor to work with Knockout Entertainment and to finally meet the one, the only Randy Hogan, man. Ooh. Brother, I've been waiting for this day all my life, man. I'm glad to have you here on the show. My pleasure. So I know you're an old school wrestling guy. I know that because I've talked to you a little bit. i um so I follow promotions in SICW um in Missouri with Herb Simmons and what is your take on old school wrestling, where it is? What what are we missing in today's um, wrestling compared to what it was back when, when you were? Oh, man. You're going to ask an old guy that and you only got an hour show? Uh, well, <laughs> really? It might be a two-part. I'll throw away the, through these squats and we'll come back for more. First of all, I think is the storylines are missing. <laughs> When they had territories in that, you know, they, they would go from this town to that town to that town to that town. And they had TVs and interlapped in that. So they would have storylines going around that territory. Uh, they, I remember down here in Florida, they had uh, Dusty Rhodes and Kevin Sullivan at the time. That went on for over a year, you know. Flair would come into town in the same way. Uh, so they would have uh, uh, storylines building all the time and you could follow. Now, there's very little, or there's a storyline, and they get a guy up there, uh, let's take a Drew McIntyre, okay? They bring him, they build him up, he falls out of favor, so they kick him back down the mid-card, then he starts to bring him back up, you know, and then he goes back down again. Um, there, there, there's no solid build. There's no characters or stars anymore. Flair, you know, everybody knew Flair worldwide as a champion, and he was. Bruno Sammartino had it for, what, seven or eight years. Uh, Hogan, big name, had it for a long time. Um, now it seems like every pay-per-view, somebody's changing uh, with no rhyme or reason to it. I'm glad to see they're starting to build some new stars with uh, uh, L.A. Knight, and uh, Austin Theory and, and guys like this are starting to bring in and give them a little bit of a shine, you know, building up for the future, which is nice. 
But the future they're building to is only to get to the level of what it used to be old school, you know, when old school, um, I'm dumping around here, finishing maneuvers, okay? There's no finishers no more. When Flair put a figure four leg lock on somebody, it was over. Now they reverse it. When Shawn Michaels or Chris Adams out in Texas used to give a super kick, it was over. Now everybody, I don't care what you watch, any match, try to pick out the amount of wrestling moves as opposed to kicks and punches. Matches are all kicks and punches now, you know. Everybody dives through the rope. They didn't do that in the old days. You couldn't get no big old dusty roads type shaped guys going through uh, uh, over the top rope or nothing. Just didn't happen. Um, back then, when you went into a say a restaurant or a bar, and there was a wrestler or something sitting next to you, you may not know who he was, but said, "Man, he looks like a wrestler." Now you go in a bar and it looks like. You know, some little uh, kid to cut your grass, you know, the weighs maybe 175, 180 pounds. Your hooks and your uh, uh, orange Cassidy and, and guys like that, barely 200 pounds. In the old days, they wouldn't even train you unless you weighed at least 200 pounds. Wow. Um, nowadays, you know, anybody will take your money and say we're going to make you a star. That's why you see so many people, especially on the indie circuit, they don't have uniforms. They don't have a gimmick. Um, they really don't have a finishing move or they kick out of each other's moves, whatever. Uh, it's just back then, I hate to say it was more realistic, but everybody knew the wrestling is predetermined. I hate to word, okay? Because I'm in a walker, so it ain't fake. Uh, they knew it was predetermined, but when you sat next to this guy that woke, that must be a wrestler, even if you didn't know him. As I said, now it's like a high school kid you're sitting next to. Wrestlers don't look like wrestlers anymore. Um, again, God, you know, I sound like an old man lecturing a young kid or something. When we did TV back in NWA and in WCW, when you went to the TV tapings or to the matches, right, doing house shows or whatever, you had to dress up. You had to wear at least a sport coat, okay? Flair was always dressed to the T, you know? He was famous for that. But yet you had guys at the time, like uh, I'm thinking Terry Taylor and uh, stunning Steve Austin and that. Always a sport coat. Always going to the matches and that. Now, you know, they got cut off maybe jeans and a sweaty, nasty old T-shirt that's been out in the rain for a month. It's just... It's lost a certain aura of its professionalism. You know, if you're going to be a professional, look like a professional. If you're working in a bank, you're going to wear a suit and a tie. That's looking professional for the job. Being a pro athlete should be the same way. But so those are just some of the changes. Yeah. I noticed you talk about the thing you were talking about. There's a lot of um, spots, and then you got old school wrestling, which is chain wrestling. Which I I had a show once with um, Gangrel and Luke Bookwashers. Those two barely bumped at all, but it's one of the best matches we had the entire night. Yep. You know, because they told a story right there in the ring just by chain wrestling. You and know, they knew how to read the crowd. That's exactly. Great. You know, no matter where you're at on the. 
nowadays young guys they're they're interested in their spots and they're trying to remember what they worked out in the locker room you know as far as being choreographed and everything okay. in the old days you know you would be in the ring and and um somebody would have you down just say in a front face lock whatever yeah. you know and that's and you communicate they talk to you whatever you know well there may be a couple of marks out in the crowd or something that are really either old grandma in the front row you know really rooting it on and everything else on that so you so even during the match you would pick out certain people certain areas and you would work that you would work these people you would work this you would you would do some kind of a spot that really drew some heat or something so you'd go back to that again you learn how to work the crowd as well as working in the ring and whose whose fault is that nowadays is that this the kids today in the ring or is it this trainers who train these kids just want to push them through the courses like a conveyor belt i think it is it is 80 percent the trainers mm -hmm. because of those 80 percent trainers maybe 10 to 15 percent are actually qualified to train people <laughs> The rest are just backyard guys that never made it, never did nothing, spent a couple of grand for a ring, put it in the backyard and says, you know, give me uh, $100 a month or $2,000 or whatever, and I'll train you to be a pro wrestler. Yes, I will. Uh, it, it just, uh, but like you said, back to, to Luke and Gangrel, you know, they don't have to take bumps. They don't have to do nothing. They can get all their heat and the excitement and the, and and the the crowd into it without even touching each other you know yeah, it, it's with, a look or with a, a certain move or somebody moving or jumping and then they pick on somebody in the crowd and then somebody else in the crowd comes to their defense now you got the crowd fighting with that gangrel whoever's the bad guy you know right. in the meantime you got 102 year old luke in there trying to catch his breath you know <laughs> just and i love luke to death i do yeah. i love him but uh, that that's old school. Yeah, young kids could not do that. No, it's funny because I was back there watching and I was talking to him, and he said, "He's like, look, this is how we go over our match." He, Gangrel was telling me, "Luke, how you want to start?" And Luke told him, "My finisher, okay, thirty seconds, match done." <laughs> I was like, yeah. "Wow, okay." Yeah. And so, that's how it was. That's yeah. how it was. Now, my friend, even back in the days when we did when we did did tv you really didn't get to talk to the guy often uh ahead of the match you know the referee or somebody come over and say okay you're gonna go uh six minutes and this is the finish now your mm -hmm. tag team they don't tell you which one the finish is on right. it's just the referee will say take it home or right. yeah that, that would be it but again no communication everything was called in the ring and even on the indie circuit back at the time when you had guys like uh local guy me and bob cook and 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 a lot of guys uh local that were doing weekend shows and that it was the same way you called it in the ring you didn't yeah. do anything outside absolutely <laughs> no and i, and I, I think that makes for i think that ad lib makes for a more exciting match not only to yeah. the wrestlers but to the fans rather than having every move choreographed and then somebody forgets a move and then they look at each other what do we do now you know Exactly. No, you hit it right on the head. One of my biggest frustrations with today's wrestling compared to back in the 80s and even indie, and some of the indie stuff I've been watching is 
the misuse, I'm not use Cody Rhodes. I get in this debate all the time. I think WWE is misusing Cody. Cody Rhodes is one of these guys that should have been launched a long time ago to face Roman Reigns a long time ago. You know, he's been, you know, but they don't. They they went a different direction. They brought him back. Went a different, another direction, brought him back. Now they're on a different path, hopefully to finish the story. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I would have felt that way too. I think they should have pulled that trigger a few months back. Yes. But now all of a sudden he's in this mindless flu uh, feud with Nakamura, who really is 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 an upper mid card. He's nothing. Maybe he was big in Japan and stuff. But you know, I'm telling you, if, if you can't cut a promo in English, you're not going to go nowhere. Right. So now Cody, who's supposed to be fighting to finish the story. Is now dropped onto a mid card type yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that and I don't know how many times a person can take a body slam and get up and get another one and get up. That's just so frustrating. It's it's like like so. Yeah, I, I say yes. I agree with you 100, oh, Mr. Hogan. So, so as a kid growing up, were you a big fan of wrestling? <laughs> oh yeah, since I was probably oh I don't know maybe six seven years old. I grew up in Detroit. Okay. And my uh, my grandparents, big fans. I mean, don't tell them everything was fake, okay? okay. And I was a kid, didn't know nothing, and they lived right across the street from us. So uh, I'd be over there, and, of course, Grandma and Grandpa, they'd be watching TV whenever it was on wrestling. So I got into it, and then I started learning some of the guys, some of my favorites, like uh, the, the Sheik and Bobo Brazil and Wilbur Snyder and uh, – million old flying Fred Curry and Bull Curry. And, and I was lucky enough that age that I got to see Buddy Rogers uh, live. We used to go to Olympia Stadium at the time. And uh, they take me to every match. Every match there was down there, they take me. And I remember uh, uh, Buddy Rogers would go around and, and throw a, uh, he had a, a perfume guy, a, a valet, squirt perfume around. Uh, Gorgeous George originally used to have the gold hairpins and he'd yep. throw them out into the audience you know so i got to see them um dick the bruiser one of my all-time favorites dick the bruiser and the sheik were probably my all-time favorites um so i was just a fan all those years with my grandparents my parents not so much you know they had a lot of fake stuff you know let's let's watch something else so I go over to Grandma and Grandpa's and we would watch wrestling and we talk about the wrestling and what was real and, and we all thought it was all real right up through. That's old school stuff. You know, when you're watching it on TV, you really don't know, but you're not trying to overthink it either. Wow, this guy must have really got hurt. So we watched it. We went to the matches in that and I went through and then from Olympia, they built this place called Cobo Hall, which... Uh, the Olympia, I think Francis Fleischer was the promoter. Kobo Hall, the Sheik, actually took over the promotion, which I didn't know. I thought he was from Syria or something. I really didn't know. Now, this is into my teenage years. Actually, beyond that. So I watched, I watched, I watched. One of the highlights was I was, I think, of maybe 16, maybe 17, got my driver's license, and I went down to Kobo Hall bought tickets and for the first time come on grandma gramps i'm taking you to the wrestling matches and it, it just you know thoughts like that bring tears to my eyes but that's how i got hooked and got started 
Uh, I played in a band for a number of years. We were on the road and, and we were playing a Holiday Inn circuit in the South. And uh, it was in Columbus, Georgia, Holiday Inn. And they used to do TV taping there. I think it was Mid-Atlantic or something. Um, they did it on Tuesday nights. And every Tuesday night, I would go to see it at the auditorium. And uh, so I was in the restaurant. I got in the restaurant business at the time. And I moved to Boca Raton, managed the restaurant there. They closed it up. And I said, man, I said, you know, at this point, I'm, I don't know, my mid to late 20s, I guess. And I said, man, you know, as much as I love it, I still don't know what's real and what's fake. Anyways, Jeanette, yes, I know Leap and Larry Shane. Anyways, from that question. Um, so I, I, I used to work out at Oates Gym. When I went there, the wrestlers <laughs> used to work out there. Uh, Wahoo McDaniel and that when they were in town. And they'd stay at the Holiday Inn along with Eddie, continental lover, Eddie Mansfield, who I got to be really good friends with. So I was in Boca, and they closed the restaurant, and I said, you know, I wonder what's real and what's fake. So I called Jerry Oates back at Oates Gym. I said, Jerry, do you know anybody down here that trains people? And he said, well, he said, the only guy I know down there is Hiro Matsuda. And, you know, he's pretty picky, and he does all the, a lot of the bigger guys, you know, at the time, Luger, and I think Hogan was just coming on. <clears throat> he said, but, you know, I train guys up here, too. And, oh, yeah, I remember. So we negotiated, and I went up there and trained. <clears throat> so uh, I started working with him, and I got hurt. The twist of my ankle just fell on it wrong. It's funny because years later, like three years ago, I had to have that ankle replaced from that original injury. So anyways, I'm going to uh, – I, I go to the school, and I get hurt. So I'm away, but I'm still going to the wrestling matches in Columbus, and I was managing a restaurant there. And a guy that I trained with uh, was putting up the ring. So and I said, Bill, so what are you doing here? He says, well, when they're in town, he says, they rent my ring. And I set it up for him and everything. He says, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm not doing nothing. All I wanted to know was what was real and what was fake. Never wanted to be a wrestler. Didn't have any idea that I wanted to be a wrestler. So he says, why don't you come up and watch me? I'm wrestling in this little bar up in Athens, Georgia. He said, bring your stuff. And I said, well, I'm not going to bring my stuff, but I'd like to come up and just watch you for fun. So I went up a couple of weeks, and somehow, I don't know, he talked me into bringing my stuff. So I went, and somebody was, they were short. Now, I thought I knew it all. I, I trained for 13 months. I knew it all. So he said, Bill, does your buddy want to want to work? And I said, well, I've only had, you know, one match in my whole life, but okay. <laughs> he says, okay. He says, you're going to wrestle this guy named the Animal, and he's going over. Oh, now, this wasn't Road Warrior Animal. This was a little bar of about maybe 30 GIs in it, you know, and, and a, a, a hot dog and a handshake would have been a great payoff for that. <laughs> So anyway, so and so you're going to wrestle Animal, and he's going over. It's okay. So I says, hey, Bill, my buddy. I says, what's going over? Does that mean like he's going over the top rope? 
I'm going all the time. This is how green I was. He says, no, dummy. That means he's going to win. Oh, okay. Again, I do the finish. That was all. So what's your name? I said, well, uh, Randy Franklin. Because my dad's name was Frank. Okay, so I do Randy Franklin. I always had the mustache. Always had the long hair, brown, of course. Um, so I went through the match, and of course I lost. But uh, I guess I did okay. So the guy said, "You want to come back next week?" Says, "Pay you twenty bucks." <laughs> Absolutely. Now this is a four-hour drive. Okay, gas, food, uh, one guy driving with me. So I says, "Okay." So I went up, and he said, "You know," he says, "You kind of look like this." Hulk Hogan guy, who was coming up at the time, late 70s, 80s. Right. He said, we're going to call you Hal Hogan. You're going to be his cousin or nephew or something. So I thought about it, and I said, Hal Hogan. I said, well, you know, if you want to do the Hogan thing, that's okay. But can I be Randy? Because I know who they're talking about, because that's my name, you know. Call me Hal. I wouldn't know who the hell they were talking about. <laughs> so, Right. So, so that's how Randy Hogan started. I didn't pick okay. anything. I didn't pick right. nothing. It was given to me by this little cigar-smoking guy in the smoky bar, you know, <laughs> paying me a big payday. Like he was doing me a favor. I'll give you 20 bucks. Woohoo! You know? And I was thrilled. So I went and I did that thing, and I was Randy Hogan. So now I got to do a couple of Broadway, um, or time limit draws, as they call them. Um, and, of course... On the card, you get to meet new guys wrestling all the time. And common courtesy is on a night off, you go see these other guys. And when you go see them, they will introduce you to the promoter usually. You know, I'll go up and I'll I'll, I'll go I'll go see a, a nasty Nick wrestle, and he'll say, "Hey, come here, Scott. This guy works, Randy Hogan." So of course I say, "Hey, if you never use me, let me know." You know. And at this time now, I went home. My girlfriend had bleached my hair blonde and my mustache blonde and my eyebrows blonde and everything else. And I always had a dark tan. And, of course, I was in the gym and younger at that time. So uh, I just had a little bit of that Hulk Hogan relative type look. So they kind of brought me in for that. You know, I'd be right. his cousin. I'd be his brother. I'd be his nephew. Whatever they wanted to be. I mean, it's showbiz, you know. So that went on and on. So I'm wrestling, and I get the more people we got to know, the more promoters, the more jobs we would get traveling around. And this was strictly around Georgia, Alabama area, mm -hmm. a little bit in the Carolinas. So I finally got on the card that every once in a while is, you know, Nick, you bring in a big name. You might have one big name or one match that's a draw for all the undercard. Okay? Yep. So I was in a seminar main event. In the main event, I forget what who was, but it was with um, Mike Jackson. Action Mike Jackson. Self-proclaimed 74-year-old Alabama junior heavyweight champion for the last 50 years. Anyways, <laughs> wonderful. But he was jobbing on TV all the time. Every week he was on, you know, NWA and WCW. So I said, Mike, I said, how did you get on TV? He said, well, he said, let me tell you. I, I bring some guys up. He says, I can't promise you nothing, but right up here with me. Again, I was living in Columbus at the time and going to Atlanta 
TBS studios Wednesday afternoon. They did TV. So similar to the bar thing, I went and they were short jobbers, enhancement, carpenters. I don't care what you want to call them. They were short. So he goes, J.J. Jackson was booking at the time. He goes, Jackson, you got anybody out there? He says, yeah, I got Randy Hogan out there. So, okay, we'll bring him in. So now I finally got, you talk about a kid in a candy shop. Here I walk in a locker room. And again, I'm, I'm clueless. I walk in a locker room. I got all these big stars, all these heroes of mine, you know. Dusty was in there. Uh, uh, Flair was in there. Terry Funk was in there. The Midnight Express. All the, there is Larry Zabisco. All these guys were in there. And, man, I was just in awe. So I was in a match with the tag match against the Barbarian and the Warlord. Damn. Well, big dudes, okay? Now, the Warlord... It's got to be 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. I never been up so high, but he, like, give me that gorilla press. Well, I got to be almost eight feet in the air. <laughs> and then he turns me, you know, drops me. And thank God I landed perfectly. And I wanted just to jump up and say, yes, that was great. You know, of course, I had to sell it. Didn't get hurt or nothing, you know. So later in the match... Lo and behold, I mean, there was a barbarian. Barbarian, what's he going to throw me in the ropes? Now, for those uninformed, if there's any element of risk, like when you're throwing somebody in the ropes, you're going to give them an elbow. You know, you say elbow on the way through or drop kick or whatever else. Well, he's throwing me. Now, again, first match on TV, scared to death, adrenaline, my heart going a mile a minute. He goes, Bibba, and throws me. Now, again, I'm, what? I didn't have time to stop to ask to do nothing. So, not knowing, being stupid, full force in the ropes, off the ropes, full force, not knowing nothing. Next thing I know is I got a boot. There goes the nose, blood, everything. Oh, Listen no. to you. So, uh, of course, everybody took pity on me. But what happened back in the locker room is uh, Barbarian, I think he's Tonga or something. Very strong accent. So he was saying, big boot. Like, watch out for the big boot. But all I heard was, boo <laughs> <laughs> So that was, that was memorable. And again, they took pity on me. J.J. Dillon again said, Hogan, oh, want to come back next week? Said, sure. Want to come back next week and then the next week and and that's how it started with uh, basically TV, which they taped three hours at a time. And I don't know what they're, I do know what they were paying. They were paying $200 at the time. And if you got on a second hour, they paid you another 100 So that'd be a $300 day for three hours work. Not bad. So where well, the controversy started was I was getting paid 50 bucks. Okay. Jackson would pay us. Mike Jackson, don't tell nobody. Shh. Mike Jackson was getting $150 off about five of us jobbers, giving us 50, which we were happy to get. And he was pocketing 100 bucks. Now, this went on for a couple of months. And I forget who it was, but one of the big names heard about it, found out about it. And that all stopped. And all of a sudden, we started getting our full pay again. 
and Jackson disappeared. So that was the, that was that was the whole story. I love Mac. I, I see Mike at the uh, at conventions and that. You know, we we talk. I don't bring that up, but uh, we laugh and we talk, and, and he's still active and and can outrun most of these guys. You know, that'd be another one, a uh, good one if you could get him on. Yeah. Mike, yeah. Mike Jackson. A lot of stories, you know. We we'll get we we'll talk after back in the green room. That's how the whole story started. That's how the Randy Hogan got started. That's how I got interested in the sport. And then I was wrestling Rick Steiner in Savannah, Georgia, one day in TV, and he always used to do little belly to back suplexes, and I'd always land on my head. That's about the fourth time I'd worked them. So I said, "Well, not this time." So I turn a little bit and take it on my the beef on my shoulders. When I turned too much, I cracked my clavicle. Damn. So now, now Rick Steiner was as stupid as he acted on TV. You know, <laughs> nice, friendly, but stupid. So, Is that that one, two, four, five? Yeah. <laughs> so I told the referee, I said, you know, my shoulder, I said, I need to, you know, take it home. So evidently he told Steiner. And, of course, the finish, I didn't know what he was going to do, except what was planned. What was planned was he used to do, again, throwing a rope, big power slam, you know. Well, uh, here I'm going with my shoulder. Felt like a gunshot if I've been shot. And down I go. Feel like I got shot twice. So, so that was pretty much the end of that. So I walked around for a few months with this thing on this brace on my arm, like this. You know. Moved back down to Florida, where my parents lived in Lakeland, and said, "Well, what am I going to do now?" So at this time, I was, I don't know, forty something. So long story short, I. Uh, I bought a restaurant. It was called Cedar River Seafood. And I just kind of changed the name to Randy Hogan's Cedar River Seafood. Okay. So I said, well, now here we go. I'm not wrestling no more. Not on TV. So what I did, I had keep my hair bleach blonde and my mustache and everything. I had little five by seven promo pictures made that I keep. So when kids had come in, um, I'd talk to them about not what was real and fake, but, you know, a little bit of a little, what about Sting? Do you know this guy? Do you know Abdul the Butcher? You know, how about Dusty Rhodes? And I'd give them those stories, and we'd talk a little bit. And I'd give them an autographed picture. Wonderful. I turned into a local Ronald McDonald, you know. The kids, mom and dad would say, where do you want to go eat? Oh, let's go see Randy Hogan. Because they do, they get some conversation, they get this. So now WCW started uh, taping at MGM Studios, which is, I don't know where it is now, Hollywood Studios. Hollywood Universal, yeah. Yeah. But it was MGM at the time. Yeah. It was funny. So they started doing TV there. So I made some calls, and, and when they did the TV now, I got the, back on TV. I was still doing jobs and stuff, but it was credibility. Now I'm on TV and I'm giving them a picture and talking about that, you know. I was, you know how it is. No matter how little you may be, you're a TV star if you're on TV. That's how these kids look at it. And that's wonderful. And they still look at it that way. It's funny because at that same time, Hulk Hogan was in the next studio doing Thunder in Paradise at the time. Yeah. So, and we never crossed paths. Never crossed paths. So what does Hulk Hogan think about your gimmick? 
Oh man, I knew he was going to ask that. He's okay with it. He's okay with it. I had I was doing a a big event convention, New York. Right across from me was Jimmy Hart. Now I knew that him and Jimmy Hart are best friends in real life, mm-hmm. business partners, other than in wrestling business. So it slowed down, and I said, I got to do it. So I walked across. I said, Jimmy, could I get a picture with you? And, you know, if you know Jimmy, he's like, a, he's like a hamster on crack. I mean, your brother, come on here. You know, he's always like 80 years old now, and he's still that way. Full of energy. So he did that, and I thanked him and everything else. Got a couple of pictures. And I said, thank you so much. I said, you know, I, I, I was a little hesitant because I know – how you are with Hulk. And and I was just a little bit nervous, you know. And he says, well, let me tell you, brother. He said, not that you're the topic of discussion. He said, but your names come up. You know, I mean, we see TV, whatever. And he said, you know, you've never done us wrong. He said, I, you know, I've never gotten into any controversy, jail thing, drug things, boosting, nothing like that. Never always acted in a professional manner. And when he did the NWO and finally turned heel, then on the indie stuff, I turned heel. Okay. He came back. I came back. So uh, and he said, you know, you've always done right. You've never done anything to tarnish or make fun of the name or whatever. He said, I think the game is great. He said, we're fine. He says, you go with it. You do what you're doing. He said, I love the outfit. I had basically the same thing on you with my Randomania shirt. He thought that was pretty cool. And he said, you go with it. So basically, I got the approval of Hulk through Jimmy Hart. And that's what I'm living with. And I'll say this. I I talked to Mario Mancini quite a bit. And he's going to be down here. And he said, you know, he says, we're going to go and I'm going to introduce you to Hulk. Cause he's only like an hour from here, you know, his, his restaurant in, in Clearwater and that. So uh, Mario says, I'm going to take you over there. So again, I'm going to be like a kid in a candy shop, scared to death, but that's my whole life story. That's awesome, man. And I got, to, I, I just, I don't know if you've seen this kid out here, but I got this video. Cause I was like, it's a one minute thing. Hulk Hogan, Randy Hogan. And then this kid. And I just, I think this is so cool. And I, I can't. And I can see you doing this whole. Let me tell you something, brother. So here we go. This is fun. Rose, brother. Let me tell you. No, let me tell you something, brother. When you walk in this beach shop, I'm surprised that you still got the shirt on, Jack. Seen that, I was like, man. That kid is great. 
He is. Mm-hmm. Yes. I was just like, is that, okay, is that your kid? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could cut a promo like him, brother. <laughs> well, come on, you can't cut a promo like that? Yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. I, the promo you cut for the um the 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 podcast was pretty good. So yeah. I, I, that was great. So oh, I'm glad you liked it. Yes. Um. So, Big Bad Vader. Uh, is there serious beef with you guys? I mean, I have a video. I'm not, I had a video lined up where, at the end of it, you were talking about at the beginning of the podcast about your bad back and all this stuff. That match that you did with Vader, um, back in the day, man, 1994, actually, you got when he got smushed. It didn't soul. help. That, it that didn't was, help my back issues. I was gonna say it, it didn't look like what helped your back issues. So. You know, it's funny because at one part of that match, you can see he had me in the corner and he was just punching me, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm starting to slide. Now, he's hitting me. So I'm trying to slide down the ropes a little bit. And he starts hitting me up, pushing me up the ropes, hitting me up. So that hurt. And then he got me, he did that uh, stupid thing he does off the ropes, that monkey splash, you know, thing, I call it. It was stiff. It was stiff. And then he pulled me up and then he did it again. I caught a Vader bomb. Oh, God, yes, Mm. yes. So anyways, I guess I sold it okay because it it was stiff, but it it, it didn't kill me, you know. It, It hurt, though. So at the end, you see the referees come out from back, you know, to help me out yeah. of the ring, help me back. Yeah. That was uh, that was a shoot. They thought I was legit hurt, and they legit came out to help me to the back because they thought I was like dead. You looked you know? dead. I, I I watched that. I'm like, okay, Holy crap. okay. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, again, going back shortly to the uh, today's training. There's no training on how to sell. You know, I mean, one of the best sellers I thought was Bobby Eaton at the time. If you see any of his matches, say he's in a corner, somebody punches him in the jaw or whatever, he doesn't bop his head. Somebody punches you, chances are you're going to grab your jaw or something like this, you know. You're not just going to shake it off ten times and then come back and throw the guy in the ropes and clothesline him or something. Um, Bobby Eaton used to sell those so good, though. Um, Jerry Lawler used to sell a good job. Uh, but again, nowadays that's not part of training. It's okay. We got this mat. So let's, let's go. We'll show you how to go off the top rope. Now we'll show you how to do a somersault. Then we'll show you how to do this. Never any mat wrestling. Not that you nowadays market needs a lot of mat wrestling, but you need to know how. You know, yeah. if you really get in there with a uh, a technical guy like a Chad Gable, okay, or uh, oh, like a like Kurt Angle or somebody, it really helps to know what you're doing on the mat because all this other stuff you're learning ain't going to help you a bit. So, but yeah, selling is is a lost art, and that was part of it. I was supposed to look like I died, and I guess I did my job because people <laughs> thought I was dead. I was like, dude, he ain't moving. Yeah, move it again, and it's what? Because <laughs> I just watched it this afternoon. I'm like, man. But the job of a jobber is to make, to enhance whatever 
your opponent's strengths are. If he's a beast like Vader, it's my job to make him look like a beast and let him kill me. If I'm in there with a Ricky Steamboat or old Brad Armstrong, okay, it's my job to go toe-to-toe and wrestle with them and show how technically sound they are. Um, that's our job. To me, that's what the word jobber comes from. We're all jobbers. Nick, you got a job, right? Scott, you got a job. Don't you go to work every day? You get yep. paid to do a certain thing? Yep. You're doing a job. You're a jobber. Right, yeah. That's how I think about the word jobber. Now my good buddy Bob Cook thinks totally different from that, you know. He's uh, and uh, Barry Horowitz the same way. They they think it's so derogatory. But we have a friend of yours. What's up, Randy? Oyson. Oyson's from across the pond. Okay. Lives in in Cork over there. One of my fans turned into friends. Yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. So some influences. I hear you've got a great relationship with the Barry Horowitzes and guys like that. Uh. We talk online once in a while. Um, we do conventions sometimes together at the same table, sometimes away. But okay. uh, me, Luke, Barry, uh, Fred Ottman, uh, Paul Roma, Mario Mancini. Come to mind, those are the guys that I'm about the, the closest with. I still talk to. Often so do, you, do you have a favorite opponent and do you have a least favorite opponent in your career that you've ever went up against the least must be vader <laughs> you got that one you got down next to him which was not all bad but it was one of the stiffest ones uh next to the steiners and the nasty boys were pretty stiff but they didn't do anything on purpose it was abdul the butcher okay I wrestled him Birmingham, Alabama. And again, you don't know nothing. You know he's going to win. There wasn't even conversation that way. Gary Hart was managing him. So we're in the ring. That's a TV taping for Continental. Out in, out in Birmingham. So I got my back you know, to her and taking my coat off. Next thing I know, bam, he had some title. I don't know, North American title or something. But it waxed me in the head with a belt. Now, he didn't have his hand first. He didn't hit with a strap. He had a metal plate. Wham! Right in the back of my head. Damn, what knocked me out? (laughs) Then he went on to pummel me, threw me out of the rope, out of the ring. Uh, So then he came out after me. Goes under the ring and gets a kendo stick. Beats me like a dog. Now, we're outside the ring. You're between the uh, the, the rail and the ring and in them days the people were right there they were like maybe six seven eight feet away from you beat me with that stick damn caught me in the ring beat me with it again then pinned me with this well he calls an elbow we called it the flying lat because he got so much skin down here you know flying lat so so we go back in the locker room now Abby is a very well-spoken man back then, you know. So he had his feet up on a desk smoking a cigar. And I went back, and again, common courtesy, no matter what, no matter who, whether it be Vader, Abby, or somebody else, 
go back and shake their hands, thank them for the match. Uh, so Abby kind of opened the door. He says, you okay? I says, yeah, I'm okay. He says, would you about beat me to death with that kendo stick? And he says, it's good for the business. Now, I didn't think about that until years later. When you're that close to the fans as we were, it's got to be real. It's got to look real. You can't be pulling punches or nothing. So that little mark in the front row says, see, I told you it's fake. Look, he didn't even hit him. He missed them. You can't. Old school, you know, him and the Wahoo McDaniels and even Ronnie Garvin's and that, they didn't play that game. If you were within 10 feet of a fan and they were going to do something, they did it. They punch you. Now they try to pull it as much as they can, but they're going to make contact. Kendo stick, he would beat me like a dog. The third hour, I, I taped the first and the third hour. Third hour, I was working against uh, Hacksaw Butch Reed at the time. Again, on TV. So I'm watching it the next on that weekend on TV. And you can see Butch, Butch Reed got me up in a, uh, in a bear hug. And you could see the welt marks across my back where Abby, an hour earlier, had beat me to death. <laughs> That was a, but that was the, one of some of the best advice I ever got was, you know, in front of the crowd like that. He said, it's good for the business. And they were all about what was good for the business. Yeah. So now you just carried that right on through. And some of it, it just, again, a lost art. There's not a disrespect from the guys in the main roster to the jobbers, is there? Or they, do they respect you just as much? You have to earn it. Okay. You have to earn the respect. When you go in there the first time, first couple of times, I'll give you four examples. Okay. Sting and Lex Luger. Now, Luger, at the time, what you saw on TV was him. Narcissistic, loved himself, thought he was just the gift and everything. You know, Sting was pretty much on top, going, making his way up. And uh, they were tag teaming at the time. So the first two times I worked them, they tag teamed. And uh, they were, uh, they were snug. They weren't really stiff. They didn't, didn't hurt you or nothing. And their intentions were good. But as I wrestled Sting now, as an individually, he was light as a feather. So you earn that. They learn that you're not going to go back and whine and cry and complain because those are guys you never see. You know, you got to play the politic game and politics and wrestling back then was you don't cry, you don't complain, you don't whine, you don't speak unless spoken to, you know, nothing like this. So some of us, like me and George South, Italian Stallion, uh, uh, guys like that, that were enhancement people that they kept around for a number of years, we knew that. We didn't do that. Some of these other guys that come in the first time and they think, oh, I'm on TV, I'm a big guy, and uh, either they don't sell correctly or they go back and they whine, oh, he was so stiff and Man, those guys are gone. They don't want to back no more. Well, the guys who work it hear this too. 
the road warriors, you know, at first they beat you up. They just beat the brains out of you. So after the second or third time, you're in there with them. They know you're not going to complain. You're not going to bitch. If you're properly trained, you know how to fall pretty much like a cat from any angle. You pretty much learn how to fall protectively. So now, you know, the road warriors from beating me all the time, now I'd be against them, but they wouldn't take the pin on me. Do you remember back in the day, they used to rush the ring and hit the two opponents, and one guy got thrown right out of the ring, and then 30 seconds later, they beat the other guy. You know, he'd be on animal shoulders, and Hawk would come off with a clothesline off the top rope, and he'd do this flip. Anyways, I got to be the guy that got thrown out. So now here at the time, I think I was making 250 bucks at the time. And I get in and they'd hit the ropes and they'd throw me through the ropes and I go out on the floor. That was it. I wasn't in the ring for with them for 10 seconds. And I got paid. Nice pay day. But that was the courtesy that they allowed you when you did things right. Uh, we were them, Midnight Express. You know, I got very close with Jimmy Cornette and that. Same thing. I loved working the Midnight Express. First couple of times, I was just jobbing. But then again, they didn't started not taking the fall on me. Um, they'd be trying something new out, and they'd try it on me. Um, they used to do, they called it a pancake, which both you come off the ropes, and they'd both lift you up, and then you just kind of flap you down on your face, you know. And it was an easy bump, but uh, so they did that to me. Jimmy Cornette, he was a riot. He was the same in the ring as he was out of the ring. Um, in fact, I had this little article in Pro Wrestling Illustrated that he was in with me. I don't know if you ever saw that or not. But it's uh, uh, it was a spoof on me and Hogan, Hulkamania versus Randomania. And, uh, and I had just, just finished a match in WCW. And uh, and I was walking through, and Bill Apter and Craig Peters were there. Bill Apter says, come here. I want to do something. He had this idea about random mania, kind of a joke on me, you know, and Hogan. So uh, he's telling what he wants to do. He says, okay, there was, a, there was an article with Hogan and Fred Blassie where he had the 24-inch pythons, you know, and they had a, mm-hmm. held a sign-up and everything. Mm-hmm. So after says, I want to recreate that. He says, so get kind of a crazy look on your face, like flex, but don't flex. He said, don't flex at all. Just this look. So Jimmy Cornette says, well, damn. He says, I want to do this. What are you doing? What are you doing? So Bill Actor says, well, okay. So Cornette made this little sign that says 24, like centimeters, you know, not and held it up. So I'm doing the pose on this side, looking crazy. And on the other half of the picture is uh, Blassie and Hogan. And it was about uh, how I got many fans and maybe I don't. I'm looking for my first win. And, and anyways, I got very close with Jimmy Cornette. Nice. And, uh, and, and he's been on a couple of podcasts and, and spoke nicely of me, which he doesn't speak nicely of a whole lot of people. So. <laughs> that's <so interesting. laughs> but that was that's, it. That, that, that's my stories. One of the things I've read about you, um, can you talk about your – your match against Dustin Rhodes, I think it was his first TV match. And are there any memorable conversations that you had with the great Dusty Rhodes? 
this was, I think, might have been their first match. Him and Kendall Wyndham, the young Broncos, I think they were called. And I was in there. And of course, they're going over. And, um, we knew the finish was going to be a, a bulldog headlock. Kendall does. So we're going through the match, and I'm in there with Dustin. Now, these are the guys that are, that are calling the match. You know, we just, I just do what I'm told. So we're going through the match. Dustin throws me into the corner. And then he comes in. So I'm waiting for him to say, you know, Beal or something, whatever. He froze. He said absolutely nothing. He's just there. It felt like a minute, but it's probably just a few seconds. And he just froze. And I'm in the corner. And I says, throw me across big elbow. Because he used to do Dusty Rhodes elbow thing. So he threw me across the ring and back into the other corner. And I bounced out of the corner. And he gave me the big dusty elbow. And I crawled over and tagged my partner to come in. And then Kendall beat him up and took the uh, pin on him with a bulldog headlock. Think nothing of it. You know, it was fine. Stuff happens. So I'm going walking down the hallway afterward. I dress going out. And and I had never speak, spoken to Dusty Rhodes or anything in my life. He was just one of those faces that, you know, your jobbers are over here and your over guys are over here and never the twain shall meet. So I'm going down the hallway. Now I see Dusty coming. Now, I don't know, should I say hi? Should I nod? <clears throat> Should I just ignore him? What do I wait for him? What do I do? You know. So I get right about to him, made some eye contact, made me smile, and he says, "Hoagie." He called me Hoagie. You know, like a sandwich or something. <laughs> Hoagie. He says, "Thanks for taking care of my boy." I said, "You're welcome." I wasn't sure what he was talking about at first, but what happened is he either watching the monitor. Or Dustin went back to his dad critiquing his match and said, yeah, he said, I kind of froze. Or Dusty said, yeah, did you freeze out there? He said, yeah, but Hogan called this, you know. Anyway, somehow he told Dusty that I had called that one spot, which led to the end and, and kind of covered up his freezing. Okay. So from then on, Dusty always said, Hoagie. How you doing, Hoagie? It was always Hoagie. Just that kind of respect, but you had to earn it. You know, you, you couldn't just do it. Kevin Sullivan used to be, he used to kind of run the locker room TV. You know, he, he would tell you when to go out, kind of gorilla position, they call it sometimes. But, yeah, tell you when to go out and all this kind of stuff. And in the beginning, you know, Hogan, you're up next. Hogan. Go to the ring. Hogan, do this. So then when I was there for a little while, I wrestled I wrestled him twice with the varsity club. Once with him and uh, Dr. Death Steve Williams, and once with him and Mike Rotunda. And uh uh, Kevin, he uh, he hung me in the tree of woe, you know, upside down as he used to call it. And then he comes a little little body come running and he his hip right into your belly and that. And that. <clears throat> but uh, now he was was stiff, but 
That was old school stiff. It wasn't, I'm just trying to beat you up, kid. But again, after that, you know, and we talked a little bit, the respect thing. Now, all of a sudden, he's calling me Randy. Randy, go to the ring. Randy, go to the Randy, Randy, Randy. So I went from being nothing Hogan now to being Randy. Awesome, man. So here's one of my favorite parts of the show, and next one of the next favorite yes. parts of the show. I, of course, you know, I work, I work with um, foster kids, and so we talk about I, they know that I do a podcast. They always like, can we stay up to watch the podcast? I said, no, it's not. It'll be too late. But they asked me, they said, can you ask these guys, can they ask some, your guys questions that we have? I said, okay, I could sure do. So I have like about 10 questions and um, I'm going to just ask me a hundred. I got nowhere to go to bed tonight. Favorite food. Favorite food, medium rare ribeye on a grill. Okay. Does pineapple belong at pizza? Absolutely. No, with hold it. Come bacon. on. With Canadian bacon. There you go. Oh. Yes, I agree. Favorite book? Favorite book? Good Lovin'. Life okay. Story of the Young Rascals. Favorite TV show? Um, right now, 90 Day Fiance. Favorite movie? The original Rocky One. Okay. Good. Favorite sports team? Detroit Lions. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Are you a Michigan fan? Because my wife's from Ohio. So we have this big Ohio State Michigan thing every year. We go to her brothers, okay? And we all get drunk on fireball and we're watching the game. <laughs> and I'm the only one in the whole area from Michigan. So Absolutely. finally, after getting our asses kicked for so many years, the last two years in a row, we beat them. They're going to be Anyways. national champions? The who? Are they going to be national champions? You think they can get past Washington? Ooh. I do. I can't turn my back on them. Okay. Um, do you acknowledge? No, the I'm a jobber. I'm used to losing. Okay. <laughs> do you acknowledge the tribal chief? Um, only that his part-time retirement should be full-time. Okay. <laughs> What's your Mount Rushmore of wrestlers? Whoa, let me see. I would say Flair, Hogan, uh, Dusty, and probably San Martino. Okay. Not the best technical wrestlers, but they sold out everywhere they went. And here's my here's my question. Since you're a WCW guy, I guy. you might I hope you know this. Who is the best, the greatest WCW champion ever? Well, of course, everybody would say Flair. I liked when Ron Simmons won the title. Was that NWA or WCW? I think WCW. I think you're right. Yeah. But I like yeah. that whole thing when Ron Simmons won it? Here's the correct answer. Okay. David Arquette. No. Oh, man. He would be right up there as a world champion with Randy Hogan. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There every, you go. Every, Wednesday, every Wednesday I had to listen to this, man. Every <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, 
Welcome yeah, to me your... and Gilberg. Me and Gilberg's coming back. There you go. Now, yeah, yeah, there you go. Tag team, right? Yep. So now to the probably the last part of the uh, podcast. So um, oh, man, I'm going to take this. Fun. Okay. Right, well, well, this is last long, I'm sure. Um, let's talk about conventions. Your favorite conventions, your favorite moments that you had in conventions. Well, my first, of course, was the most memorable. That was on a Saturday, the uh, the the big event in New York, and then uh, Sunday we went to to Albany and did another signing at a shopping mall or something. Okay. Um, that's when I got to uh, talk to Jimmy Hart okay. the first time. So that was probably my favorite that way. Um, as I got older, and now I'm in, in the twilight of my career, um, I've got to say that Rome, Georgia, which I think is Superstar Fan Fest, uh was my my favorite as an adult because it was like 15 or 20 dollars to get in okay it's in a well they call it a civic center it's like a big barn actually now you're out in rome georgia which is nothing but a cow pasture you know and all these people that are, you, you know they have just put their last nickels together to get in okay and because of the lower prices i think kids under eight or 10 or something got in free million kids. They all wanted to talk to you and everything. And my wife was with me at this one. And I, I shared a table, in fact, with Mike Jackson. At the time. And these little kids had come up, would you send my, sign my arm? You know, uh, no, they didn't have any money. You know, I, not that I would charge them. It was just so cute. Would you sign my arm? Sure. So I signed a kid's arm, magic marker. Now I got about seven or eight kids lined up. Would you sign my arm? Would you sign my back? Would you sign with a magic marker? <laughs> my wife says, "Does your mom know these are magic markers?" <laughs> you know, it, it, but it was so sweet. You know, it is so sweet when a kid comes up to you and and appreciates you or or looks up to you or or just knowing that you're making that kid's day. You know, we had some of the same stuff. When I was at the Toomey Tour, yep. same thing, you know. Um, it's not about making the money and everything like some of these guys. You know, they're they're, they're spending big money. Uh, Hogan's got a signing down here, two hundred bucks for an autograph. Are you kidding me? You can get this Hogan, you can get twenty of them for two hundred bucks. <laughs> but uh, just these little—that's what makes it. That's what makes it all worthwhile for guys like me, you know. I was never a big star, but I entered these little kids' eyes. You know, I made their day. They're going to remember that. And if they remember that and they see Randy Hogan somewhere uh, at, a, at a convention or a Tooby Tool meet and greet or something like that, you know, yeah. they're going to see and they're going to remember. And then they're going to get older. And hopefully they will keep that same love and affection for the business as they grow up with their kids. Okay. Just like I had from way back when with Dick the Bruiser and the Killer right. and the Sheik. Well, you are a star in my book. I mean, you 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 worked the you worked the business. You uh you know as I was I grew up in the seventies and eighties and 
I did watch you, and um, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, again, I agree with you. There's, there were gimmicks back then. There were storylines back then, and you guys played just as most of the important part as, you know, there was part of the show. That's what we love to watch. So Characters, you know, the last yeah, of the characters. Absolutely. Is absolutely. The I think. Absolutely. So Nick doesn't know I'm going to ask this, but talk to us about your relationship with Nick and Knockout Entertainment. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know. Be nice, man. Be nice. <laughs> no. oh, man, I got to think on this one. <laughs> Let me tell you. I, so. I was treated like gold. I didn't know Nick. Nick didn't know me. I didn't, did I reach out to you? Or did you reach out to me? I reached out. I actually, because Tim was talking about Kiss Fest, and I was like, I was always a fan of yours. I remember watching you, you know, when I was little too, and I knew Dusty. And my mom and, and my grandmother all, actually, my grandmother knew you, you know, and she remembered you, and she knew big fans of Dusty. We went to Dusty's home, um, my grandmother and them. So, and I was like, well, there's a guy I like a bring. Can we bring him in? And he said, well, who is he? He's a Randy Hogan. And I was like, he's like Randy Hogan. I said, yeah, he's he's well known um, in the um, well known in the scene. He's been for w, uh, NWA, WCW, and and then Tim's like, yeah, let's bring him. I said, good, because I wanted to meet him anyway. <laughs> so, uh, well, I didn't remember so, yeah, so, he reached out to me or I reached out to you. But anyways, yeah. um, we got there, and I was with there with uh, L.A. Smooth. Okay, one yeah. of them. One of the real bloodline, one of the dynasty and everything. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Kane was there, I think. Kane right? was there. Kane was Jimmy, well, Jimmy couldn't make it that Yeah. Kane was inside in the shelter, okay? Where yeah. one of the big guys go, we're, we're on the cow pasture here. Okay? <laughs> Not on. really. No. But they on, like a no, he was next to the ring where he belongs in the ring. Now, if I could have got him in the ring, I would have. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to say, even if Nick's not here, Treated me like a million bucks. Nice. Can I get you anything? You know, we ate, uh, we drank, we had fun. Uh, we were treated with respect, which is very important, especially for us old guys, because we like to feel relevant, right. you know, not to be anything that we weren't. You said, I'm not ashamed to be called a jobber because I was a champion in a lot of little territories around and everything else. It's just on TV. I got my brains beat out. So what? I was there and you weren't, you know, that's right. That's laugh right. at me, make fun of me, but you're the one to spend tickets to sit your seat down there and watch me, you know? Yeah, that's right. And, uh, 100%, man. So 100%. Just being made feel somewhat relevant, not remembered for a whole lot of things, but just uh, just hopefully being remembered as a as a nice guy until those little kids that oh yeah I met Randy Hogan you know he signed my arm or he gave me a picture or he gave me a hug or whatever you know uh, that's all so important. Okay, so Randy's I, Randy's always going to be a member of Knockout. He will all be available every time we do a show. He's part of the family now, I for mean, sure. I can say this. I love it. Thank you. What, we two, were months, two months ago, Randy, or two months ago, Nick, is when we connected. Was yeah. Um, it's been a joy. Um, I've had, I, I got my first opportunity to uh, interview knockout models. I never introduced a model, inter interviewed a model. That was weird. That was fun. Um, I that I got to interview two MMA fighters. That was pretty cool. I got to interview yeah. you and, you know, and Nick has always been encouraging, motivating, and he's even made a couple logos for me. And so, Nick, man, I appreciate you. You are 
a blessing to Huge Pop Wrestling Podcast. I look forward to further on in our career in 2024 doing knockouts on Wednesday night. So yes. it's been fun. So and I am so glad to be part of both of your families. You know, Thank I can you. do anything, you know. Yeah, uh, Scott, if you need a reference for somebody, uh, you know, about being on the show, whatever else, just feel free. Well, that was and my next question. Anyway, Nick, you know, I'm just a phone call away. That yeah, was my buddy. next question. Was, uh, what kind of experience have you had on the podcast prior to Huge Pop Wrestling Podcast? And how would you rate Huge Pop Wrestling Podcast with those other podcasts you've been on? Well, first of all, we're now an hour and 10 minutes into it, and I'm in no hurry to leave. That says <laughs> right. something. We're already working on part two now. Uh, <laughs> some you. of them, some of them, I can't even, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at my watch. You know, there are some people that do, like you do some background, mm-hmm. you know, some yeah. don't. Some of your bigger name ones in that, that, that are used to a lot of the, all they do is the big names. And somehow, you know, I get thrown in the hat in that. And then not that they talk down, but they just, it's, it's just, it's just not a family feel, you know, some of them are very good. You know, some of them I would do again. Some of them I would never do again. So, but uh, like I said, I'm, I'm family here now. Okay. So good. thank you. If you get stuck at the last minute for somebody, just ring the phone, brother. And I'll put my little sunglasses in my hat and my random mania running wild shirt on. All right. I got to get one. So so, give me your address. We can come buy one off of those. Well, I'll 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 hit you up on Facebook, man. I don't don't want to bother you with your number. I I think that's uh, that's your personal stuff. I'll I'll text it to you. All right. Um, The last question I have. Uh, is I think you said this. I don't know if you've found your Facebook. I can't remember where I found it. Is it indeed time to hang up the boots? I mean, everything. Yes, I think so. I have got three conventions coming up, three appearances that I know of, and they're all driving distance. You know, St. Augustine. And the one in Rome, Georgia, I go to. And that's just because of the little kids, even though it's a 10, 12-hour drive. And um, and they're having a big one in Orlando, which I may or may not go to. At one time, all the conventions were in the Northeast. All the time. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Pennsylvania and that. And there's such a thing as overexposure because the same people go and everything. So um, in these conventions, you know, in most cases, they fly you in, they give you your hotel room and everything, and either they pay you a salary or occasionally, um, if it's a, a good venue, they'll pay you a small salary and do like a 50-50 split. You know, what you sell. Well, a mid-carder like me is only popular to a certain point. I can only compete with Bret Hart and Sting and all these 
zillions of guys that are there, you know, everybody wants to spend all their hard earned, you know, it's like 40 or 50 bucks just to get in the door. Okay. So then they want to go the other money they got, they're going to spend on the big names that they really want to see, you know, and it doesn't always trickle down to little guys like me or even Barry Horowitz. Uh, <clears throat> George South, the same way. Now we were there, we were on TV, Mario Mancini, you know, now, bits and pieces, they'll do okay. But anyways, for me, my time is done. You know, I can no longer am I am I a commodity up north. Down here, the way that the, the fandom has changed, um, I'm a nostalgia act. You know, if you don't know anything about the 80s or the 90s, WCW, whether you be a historian or somebody that cares to look back or whatever else, you never heard of Randy Hogan. They ain't going to spend a dollar on me. That's how it gets. So now, by the time, if it's out of town, there's a plane flight and there's a room, you know, and food, you're talking about seven, $800 right off the top, plus whatever I get paid for, for my time in the weekend. So again, you're talking about at the low end, somewhere around a thousand, twelve hundred dollars in that. Well, for me to sell pictures at twenty dollars a pop or a combo at forty dollars, to come up to that twelve hundred dollars, you gotta have a hell of a lot made. And that's only for them to break even. The vendor's not making a penny on that. Okay. So I've been pretty lucky that um they have lost money a couple of times. We broke even a couple of times. And I know of three that we made pretty good money at in the very beginning. But again, everybody's used to seeing Randy Hogan there. So for me to take a weekend away from my wife, my family, which sometimes she likes me to get away from a weekend. Okay. She wishes it was for a week, but, uh, you know, to take that time away and me with my, my health issues, realistically, unless I can get there early, like I said, hide the walker or whatever and just act like a normal guy at the table, nobody wants to see me walking across the floor with a walker or anything. Um, so I lose my allure as a professional wrestler. That's why so many guys you see out there on the convention circuit don't look anything like they did when they wrestled. They should do something so people remember, because they remember them as they were. I'll take a Jimmy Garvin, okay? <laughs> no hair, a little bit of gray, a little bit of mustache here. Jimmy Garvin, remember, I had the long locks and, and precious with them and everything in that? Yeah. yeah. Totally different. Uh, Magnum TA would look the same if you just get rid of that full beard. Yeah. You know? So just people don't don't look the same, and, and especially a lot of the, the older guys. Um, then you got, got Stan Hansen's. Still wears his ball cap. Uh, but Sting, no makeup, four horsemen, street clothes. Uh, but these are the guys that the fans are spending their money at, okay? So there's very little trickle down to the Randy Hogans of the world. Gotcha. So why do I want to put myself through that, you know? Sure. It's yeah. not a matter of going out on top, but it's going out with integrity. Now, I'll get more and more... Um, visual on on facebook and that with my merchandise 
Randy Hogan merch and stuff. It's on Facebook. But I've got everything on there. I've got my T-shirts and my uh, – I, I got bandanas. I got sunglasses. I got T-shirts. I got license plates. I got keychains. Uh, I got boots signed. I got So I got all this stuff, and I'm just going to push that because I can probably sell more merchandise online like that with no overhead than taking all the time and going out. And I'll tell you, I feel bad. I feel bad when I'm up to a place and I don't do at least average, if not good. You know, it just kind of knocks you down. You know, it's just like, oh, gee, you know, here I'm sitting here and everybody's got lines up around the building waiting to see Ric Flair and Missy Hyatt and everybody. And I'm just sitting here twiddling my thumbs. So those are reasons okay. that I'm not pretty much not going to uh, – to put myself through it. If it's something local and I'm just testing the waters on these that I'm obligated with because they're so close to home. Uh, like personal appearances, if that comes up once in a while, close I'll do. Like to me tools or places, yeah. you know, uh, like that, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. But as far as me, I spend a lot of time when I'm doing it, contacting these different vendors, promoters, hey, can you use me? In the pictures, can I go? Can I, you know, just trying to to pretty much beg for work, and I'm just getting too old to do that anymore. Well, well I hope oh. I get. I I'm coming down to Orlando in February. I don't know if that would even work for you. I hope we can maybe meet somewhere. If we do, if that doesn't work out, I'd love. I, I am going to be at the River City uh, WrestleCon in St. Augustine. I'll be there for sure. Okay, so maybe we can hook up there and um, yeah. talk. Disney, there. like I said, the, the the thing when you're going to be out Disney area, you know, not that it's that far, but I don't have the mobility. Yeah, okay. I tell you what, when you're in town, we'll we we'll choreograph it. I'll come by, I'll grab you, we'll all have lunch together or something. Be nice to sit down, and have lunch. Perfect. I'll all come right. by, and pick you up. Sounds like, sounds like a plan, man. Um, yeah, Randy, I'll let you close the show. On um, let everybody know where you can get your merch, what Facebook you can get it, what's going to happen next. Do it in Randy Hogan style, and after that, I'll play the closing uh, little video. But don't go anywhere. So Nick and um, Randy, stay in the um, in the room, and I'll talk to you after that. We go off, off, um, off live. Well, again, I want to thank you. I got a huge pop from being on Huge Pop, okay? I'm going to knock out the next guy that I see, okay, from that knockout entertainment. Even if it's Tim Toomey himself, I don't care who it is. I'm going to get him, okay? You want some from Randy Hogan, you may not see me in person, but you want some merchandise, like random mania shirts you got here, okay, like the hat, like, like a smile, or if you see me, I'll give you a hug and a sweet kiss on the lips. It don't matter. Whatever you want, you can have. Go on Facebook. Go to Randy Hogan Merchant Info. That will tell you where I've been, where I'm going. Uh, it'll be my it'll be a copy of uh, of this, the podcast, and everything else on it. Um, what else? I'll be going. Like I said, I'll be in the Florida area for the two conventions coming up in Orlando and in St. Augustine at the River City, and I'll be up in Rome, Georgia again as a Superstar Fan Fest because I may be old, I may be this, but I'll bust it up. But I'm still a knockout superstar, right? right. Oh, the yeah, crowd right. gives me a huge pop. Huge pop. <laughs>
Thank you, everybody, for joining the Huge Pop Wrestling Podcast. Remember to hit the subscribe button. Remember to hit the follow button. Check out Nick um, Nicholas Vick on Knockout Entertainment. Get some badass shirts that they sell on their um, websites. Thank you, Randy Hogan. Check out Randy Hogan's Facebook page where you can find his boots. You can find his shirts. You can find those glasses. You can find the bandanas. And you can find him. Thank you, guys, everybody, from Huge Pop Wrestling Podcast. I am out. All my dogs, make some noise up in this house. in the house, who is in the house, it's the gangster of destruction, so you know what's going down, and when the drive-by's coming, then you better hit the ground, cause when your body hits a canvas, then your ass is not who is in the house, who is in the house, it's the gangster of destruction, so you know what's going down, and when the drive-by's coming, then you better hit the ground, cause when your body hits a canvas, then your ass is not like with Adrian Whisper, it's like a fight with the devil, because when he didn't with you, you cannot get on this level, like when Adrian Whisper's like it's like a fight with a king, it's like a fight with an army, they got the tanks and everything He's leaving bruises and stitches, possibly leaving you crippled Cause when he sets up the table and sends you straight through the middle Take statistic free, beat that ass with a light bulb Leave a piece of glass embedded in the back of your skull who is in the house? Who is in the house? It's the gangster of destruction, so you know it's going down. And when the drive-by's coming, then you better hit the ground. Cause when your body hits the canvas, then your ass is knocked out. Who is in the house? Who is in the house? It's the gangster of destruction, so you know it's going down. And when the drive-by's coming, then you better hit the ground. Cause when your body hits the canvas, then your ass is knocked out.